Good morning. Thanks, Alex, for uh, reading our scripture this morning. And let me just um, get myself ready here. Okay. Um, we're again continuing our series in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. And uh, let's, let's begin by asking God to help us not just to be hearers of his word, but doers of it, really. Uh, Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you, God, um, for the life you've given us, um, the air we breathe, um, just the simple things, Father, uh, that we receive from you. Uh, the comfort of being here in this worship hall, uh, to be able to worship you, God, uh, hopefully, in our hearts, in spirit, and in, in truth, Father. Lord, this morning, as we once again um, look to thy word, I pray that you would uh, be with me, hide me behind thy cross, just give me the words to, to speak, Father, uh, that your people will be, will be edified. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins uh, that I'm able to stand here and um, uh, teach your people, remind your people, exhort your people, Father. And uh, Lord, um, we just give this time to you. Uh, the Father, your name will really be glorified. And that we ourselves who are here today and those who are listening online, Father, um, who will really take to heart what we learned from you today and apply it in our lives, oh God. Uh, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I am not a economist myself. I'm not even a uh, financial guru like our brother Jackie. Um, but as per observation, uh, in, my, in my life over the past many years, I can see, because I read news, I can see that the economy, I would say, has really retreated into, into recession. And in fact, uh, we have seen how economic stimulus packages have been given by, by the government. And I would say that although we all hope that the economy will recover, regardless of how we feel about the methods being used, the fact is that no one really knows for sure if any of this massive spending, I would say, will do anything to address the economic woes of any, of any country, or we, I would say Australia also. But I don't know if you would agree with me, but I would say that there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that all these problems could have been avoided in the first place if we as a nation would have just heeded the words of the preacher in the passage from Ecclesiastes that we are going to look at this morning. Now in this passage, as I was studying it, we'll find some measures which could have been taken in order to prevent this mess in the first place, as well as the only proof solution to any economic woes. 
And thank you, Alex, for reading that passage this morning. Now, although the word doesn't appear even once in this passage that Alex has read for us, in my meditation, I would say that the underlying theme in this passage certainly has to be that of contentment. And not surprisingly, there is pretty much universal agreement that our economic woes in this country have their roots in a lack of contentment. That's how I would, I would see it. No matter how well all these economic stimulus packages help to restore our economy, I, these are only short-term fixes. Short-term fixes until we as a country addresses the underlying causes, which is really a matter of, of the heart. What is, it's, it's not a matter of our, of our checkbooks. It's not a matter of how much we have in our, in our banks. Now I hope, I'm pretty much, I, I hope that I won't offend anyone this morning, but let me ask you this question. What is in your, in your heart? In the depths of your heart, in the place that only God can see. Now think about that. What is in your heart? The very depths in your, of your heart. The place that only God can see. When all of your titles, minister, elder, deacon, teacher, what other titles you have are stripped away. When all of our flowery words that we have learned to say in order to, to, to gain approval, when all of our extern, ex exterior motions are proven meaningless, what is in the depths of your heart? What is it that you desire more than anything else? For many, the depths of our heart will reveal this desire for abundance. This desire to have nicer homes, bigger homes, better jobs, the desire to accumulate and obtain and cling to possessions of this world, a desire for just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Now, maybe you're listening to me this morning, and maybe we are quick to deny this. You say, no, that's, that's not me. But let us think about our lives for a moment. Why do we feel the need to spend extra hours at work instead of extra hours at home? Why do we feel the need to elevate people who have wealth over people who have none? Why do we feel the need to spend more on things that moth and rust destroy instead of things that are eternal? Why do we place our trust and hope in investments we make and the money we save for a rainy day? That's what we say. 
and the cushion of our, of our checkbook instead of trusting in a God who knows the very number of hairs in our head. Just think of it, brothers and sisters, in, in Christ. Isn't it, it true? Now, as you look at this passage before us, I would say that it becomes very apparent that the passage contains two very distinct sections. In verses 8 to 17, the preacher looks at the world around him, and he sees people who have bought into a number of myths about about contentment. And in verse 17, he says he describes the result of buying into these myths. And he says, all his days, he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. And I can't think of a more accurate description of life here in Australia right now. People are living in darkness, and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. They are becoming more and more angry at what they see around. You go around, there's so many people just swearing so much anger in their, in their hearts. They are worn out, sick, tired. But church, the solution to their problem does not lie in any economic stimulus package that the government can produce. It won't be solved by either spending or cutting by the liberal, liberals or, the, or labor. That's why in verses 18 to 20, the preacher provides us with an answer, the solution to these woes. And I would say it's the real economic stimulus package. In fact, it is the only one that will work in the long run. Now, In the first section of this passage, we can discern, I would say, four myths about contentment that we have bought into this culture and we have, we have believed it. So unlike our political leaders in this country who have been quick to throw money, right? especially labor, they just keep on, keep on giving, without first making assessment of the root causes, we need to take a few moments to make sure that we identify these myths so that we don't allow them to rob us of contentment in our lives. Because ultimately, that is the root cause of our problem. The first myth, contentment is a goal to achieve. And we buy to it, right? Contentment is a goal to achieve. Church, contentment is not a goal to achieve, but rather a byproduct that is produced as a result of the process of living our lives in a pursuit of the living God and His purposes and His plans for our lives. You see, one of the features that helps us distinguish between the two sections of this passage is is the verbs. If you look at the bigger chunk of this passage, the verbs in the first section, you will see that every verb describes action being carried out by men, by us, in pursuit of contentment. But obviously, contentment cannot be found. But in the second section in 18 to 20, God is the one who is doing all the action. It is he who gives life. It is he who gives wealth. It is he who gives riches, power, work, and the ability to find contentment in it all. 
Quite ironically, real contentment comes from pursuing all those things we think will provide us, not from pursuing all those things that, th that we think will provide us with contentment, but rather, it is actually a byproduct of pursuing who? God. Of pursuing God. You see, church, I hope this is a reminder to us to myself and to all of you. The problem with viewing contentment as some goal to achieve is that we relegate it to being something, some future event, than a present reality that we can embrace right now. Isn't it? Now, thinking of that, I remind, I, I'm reminded of the story of a pilot who was flying over, over a river, and he said to his co-pilot, see that river, the river down there? When I was a boy, I would fish down there, and every time I would see a plane flying over, I would think, I sure would like to be up on that plane. I will be flying that plane. And he says, now every time I fly over that river, I look down and think, I sure would like to be down there fishing. And how many of us can relate to that? How often do we look back on life and recognize how many times we failed to find contentment in the present because we assumed that it was some goal to pursue. It, we assume that when I reach there, then I will have that contentment in my, in my life. Some goal to pursue, pursue in the future. And second myth. Stuff will bring contentment. Sounds familiar, right? You see, one of the really neat things about Ecclesiastes is that much of it, like our passage today, could have just as easily been written today as it was thousands of years ago. Things haven't really changed that much over the years since this was, this was written. And I know you will agree with me. People today are still caught up in this myth that stuff will bring contentment. And the stuff I'm referring to is not just limited to material possessions, okay? It might be promotion of work, winning a competition, being recognized by, by others. You see, while we might get a moment or two of pleasure or happiness, from all our stuff, it won't last. It will never last, brothers and sisters in Christ, because our stuff will, won't, won't last. And look at what the preacher says here. The preacher describes in verse 14 how riches perish through misfortune. And when a preacher says this, and with the economic difficulties that as a country we have faced for so many years, I can't help but think of the millions and trillions of wealth that has disappeared in this country, in the stock market. For those of you who are familiar with, with, with stock markets, probably, as what I've said, our financial guru here, Brother Jackie. Probably, I've, I've heard of news, people have lost their mutual funds with this mess. 
And then my guess, if you've been hit by, for those of you who do stocks and you've lost money, then my guess is that you're not very content right now, right? With all these economic woes probably, difficulties that, that you face. And probably right now, I would say, my guess, you're not very content right now. If you're depending on your job for your contentment and you watch people being laid off all around you, and if you're being laid off yourself, then you're probably not very content right now. If you're relying on some other person for your contentment and they've left you and they've fallen short of your expectation for them, then you're probably not very content right now. That's what I've said, I really don't know. Maybe a number of us in this room can attest to this firsthand. Some of us who have invested probably in many investment forms, only to watch investments collapse. And you've seen the market, as I've said, I'm not very familiar with it. I read news, I hear news, and how it goes up, it goes down. It just keeps on going up and, and down. But if you learned to heed these words of Jesus, you can still be content in the midst of these losses. And he said in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now let me move further. Now if we believe that myth, the, the myth that stuff brings contentment, then the next logical extension of that belief is our third myth. More stuff will bring more contentment. And throughout this first, the first section of this passage, there is an emphasis on consumption, if you have noticed it. There is an emphasis on consumption, which is indicated primarily through the words that is translated eat. For instance, we could accurately translate verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who consume them. Now while we have bought into the idea that consumption renders contentment, what we find instead that consumption simply leads to what? To more consumption and creates this vicious cycle in which one is never, is never satisfied. And rather than bringing contentment, the accumulation of more and more actually has the opposite effect. If you heed the preacher here. The preacher accurately points out the laborer who doesn't have a whole lot more has more peace of mind and sleeps a whole lot better than the man who has much. Interesting. In fact, I remember the story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. And this rich man, he says, like, why aren't you out there fishing? He asked. And the fisherman replied, because I've caught enough for this day. The rich man says, why don't you catch more fish than you need? 
And the fisherman replied, what would I do with them? The rich man replied, you could earn more money. He was so impatient, buy better boat. You could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase more nets, catch even more fish, make more money. The next time you have fleets of boats and be rich like me. Then the fisherman asked, then what would I do? Then the rich man replied, you could sit down and enjoy life. And the rich man said, what do you think I'm doing right now? What do you think I'm doing right now? See, the preacher once again returns in this passage to the idea that death ultimately levels the playing field for all of us. Death levels the playing field for all of us. No matter how much we accumulate in this world, we can't take any of it with us. And since it can't bring us contentment in this world, either it is vanity to even attempt to do so. I really don't know if you agree with me, but many of our economic problems that we face can be traced directly to those who thought that they could find more contentment in getting more stuff. It began with people who, couldn't, who can't really afford buying bigger houses, but they want to buy one anyway. Struggle to get the newer phone, but I'll get, the, I'll get that one because everyone has it. I'll just get one myself also. And they were prodded along with a promise of a never-ending appreciation in home prices and the lure of easy credit. And then bankers, investment firms got caught up in the anticipation of making the fast money by packaging up those mortgages and selling them over and over again at inflated prices. And the preacher here predicted the inevitable outcome in verse 16. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? That's what the preacher says. And the fourth myth here. I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. I'm sorry, but there was no way I could read verses eight and nine without this thought immediately coming to mind. I was, I was struck by the thought of how well these verses describe our culture and our government today. The preacher, tells his readers not to be surprised at the injustice and righteousness that was, that was occurring around them because the political leaders, who should have been what? The protectors of those who were being oppressed were much more concerned about their own welfare, their own well-being than helping, than helping others. And doesn't this perfectly describe what is going on in our country? Uh, any, any country, basically. The very people who, who helped create this whole economic mess by passing legislation to encourage irresponsible behavior 
and feed this idea that more stuff bring more contentment. And now the ones in charge are trying to fix the situation. We now live in a country where an increasing number of people are, and count, are, are counting on government to provide them with everything they need so that they will be contented. Oh, how much could I get more the next year, the next, the, the following year with these this packages that the government would, would, would have? Now, up to this point, it's not a very pretty picture for us, isn't it? But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. In the closing verses of this passage, the preacher presents us with real, I would say, real economic stimulus package. This plan is both an antidote which could have prevented these problems in the first place, and it also is the only solution which is guaranteed to fix the problems that the world is having right now. Since the root cause of all our problems is a lack of contentment, the solution must address the root cause. And so let's look at it. Now you'll, you'll notice here that verses 18 or 19 are, are actually quite similar to a couple of passages that you would probably read in Ecclesiastes, as well as some if you would read in the future, if you, would, you will see them in the future. But it certainly won't hurt us for us to review some principles which may be very similar to what probably we've heard in many, in many messages. And there are also some things that are unique to this passage as well. Now, once again here, the preacher provides us with some very practical advice. Now, firstly, he says here, be, be, be grateful, right? And I would, I would even go back to uh, quote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10, where it says there, actually, when Paul sat down to write this, his first letter to a young pastor named Timothy, I can't help but think that when he came to this part of the letter, he would probably, which would become 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10 in our Bibles, that Paul was thinking of the passage in, in Ecclesiastes, what, what the preacher is saying here. See if you, can hear, if you can hear echoes of the preacher in these words of penned by Paul. Let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. He says here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, let's just read it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with, main, with many griefs. Does it sound, does, does it echo? But church, the most content people in the world are those who are also the most grateful. They are the ones who recognize that everything in the world belongs to God. And that whatever they have, be it great or be it small, they have only because God has given it to them. 
They don't lament about what they don't have because they are too busy being grateful for what they have. And such a wonderful, really, principle to visit and to, 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 look, at, to look at ourselves. Church, it is only when we are truly grateful that we can follow the preacher's frequent admonition here to enjoy all that God has given to us. Now look at that from verses 18 to 20. It's God who gives the food, the drink, even our work. In fact, in the Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud there is a saying, every, ma- every man must render an account before God of all the good things he beheld in life and did not enjoy. Very simple principle. There is just no way that we can enjoy the good things that God has given us if we're looking around and grumbling about all the things that we don't have. And the first key to contentment is to be grateful for what we have right now. The second thing, be a giver, not a consumer. Now look at this passage of scripture. We have already seen the frustration that results from focusing on consumption, right? There is that frustration. There is a better way. There is a better way. In verses 18 to 20, we see that God is revealed as what? God is the giver. He gives life, he gives riches, he gives wealth, he gives power. Even the ability to enjoy all those things is a gift from from God. It is... God's very nature to be a giver. And certainly, it is not the only place in the Bible where God's nature as a giver is revealed. From creation in Genesis to his final redemption of man in Revelation, you can see that God's nature is to give. And since we are created in God's image, You agree with me? We are created in God's image. It only makes sense that we will be most content in life when we live it, when we live our lives in a manner that is consistent with the nature of of God. Then as Paul continues with his letter to Timothy, he makes that point even more directly. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich, in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And such a good reminder for us this morning, God provides us with wealth in our lives, not just to consume for our own pleasure, but also so that we will share it with others.
But to be sure, there is a balance here. The preacher is, is, is obviously not trying to say that we have to give everything away and we can enjoy. Okay? Don't get, me, don't, don't get me wrong there. But we obviously need to guard against, what we need to guard against is the endless pursuit of more and more. That's we need to wear, that's we need to wear guard our, ourselves really, our hearts. The pursuit of more and more and more for the purpose of what? For the purpose of consuming what we acquire for our own pleasure. Preacher is quite, the preacher here is quite clear that there is nothing wrong with enjoying what God provides for us, okay? You enjoy it just as long as the gifts don't replace the giver. And the gifts become objects of our, of our worship. Thirdly, live in the present. The preacher closes the passage with these words in verse 20. For he will not dwell unduly in the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his, of his heart. We could paraphrase it. God deals out joy in the present, the now. It's useless to brood over how long we might live. As we've already seen, church, one of the things that can rob us of our contentment is the tendency to focus on what is going to make us content in the future, okay? Instead of enjoying what we have right now. And probably one of the best illustrations of this principle is God's provision of manna to his people in the desert. That's the, great, that's the best illustration I could, I could think of. And you know the story. Each day, God provided just enough manna. Enough manna for his people to eat, even providing a double portion when? On the day of the Sabbath, so that people would not have to gather food on the Sabbath. But we know in the story, but some who were not content to just have enough for that day, they tried to what? They tried to gather more than they needed. But as God has promised, every time they did that, what happened to the excess? It, 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 it was full of maggots, created stench. And church, that's probably what Jesus had in mind when he taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we pray it every time we close church. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we need to learn to just be content if we have enough for today and not worry about trying to hoard in order to try and provide some kind of security. And obviously, again, don't get me wrong, obviously there's a balance here. Living in the present doesn't mean that we don't take prudent measures to prepare also for the future. The Bible also certainly teaches that we should do that. But once again, our focus is, is, is the key. If we focus on trying to accumulate wealth and possessions as our means of future security and contentment, we will just really be disappointed. We will just be disappointed. But if we walk with God one day at a time according to his principles, 
that he has taught us in his, in his word, we will take the appropriate measures, not because we can find security and contentment in them, but because they will, they will merely be a natural byproduct of our relationship with, with, with God. Now let me close by saying this. Are, are you not glad that our security and contentment is not tied to the decisions of, of, of the bunch of politicians? Are you not happy with that? See, I'm, personally, what I hear in the news, I'm concerned about what I, what I see going on in our country right now. Concerned of, of the massive debt that is being accumulated that will, that will be laid on the backs of my children and my grandchildren. But nonetheless, I am completely content because I realize that the only economic stimulus package that really matters is the one we find here in Scripture. My contentment does not depend on the circumstances around me, no matter how bad they may get. Interest rates went up again. Jackie, help me. (laughs) The church, as long as I can just be grateful for whatever God chooses to give me, as long as I can be a giver and not just a consumer, and as long as I can live for today, then I can find contentment in Jesus. And may the Lord really help us to take these words into heart today. Because it's not easy out there, church. And we only hear God's word every Sunday and the Bible study with it. And what we hear outside is all the bombardment, how this will give you the contentment, this will give you the security, this will give you the, the answers to your problems. You want a life of contentment? A real stimulus package, and it's here in Scripture. And may the Lord help us. Yes, the music team to come up, and let me just close in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for choosing each and every one of us to be your child, O God. And in you, we have everything that we need in this life, Father. But Lord, yes, at times we are are bothered by what's going on in the world, Father. The economic woes that we are facing, difficulties that we may we may face in the future, O oh God, the economic instability. But Lord, just help us to trust in you. Help us, Lord, to be able to see that contentment, Father, is not something that we, we, we pursue in the future, but it is now what we have with you, O oh God, the life that we enjoy. Lord, may the words of the preacher that we have today, Lord, be something that we really remind us and apply in our lives, Father. And not just listen for this half an hour of, 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 of learning, Father, but we take it to heart as we live our life out there and help us to be a light to this dark world, Father, when many people are not seeing light in this dark tunnel. Praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.